0: One of the most successful and profitable cons in the world today is selling fake art. Even some of the finest galleries and private collections have been occupied by paintings that are brilliant counterfeits of the real deal. But counterfeiting is nothing new. Satan is a great imitator and has been hard at work deceiving people and counterfeiting the truth since the fall of man. He has been very successful at counterfeiting Christianity and putting his teachers in places of prominence and getting false doctrines. In the hands of humanity. When we talk about counterfeit teachers and counterfeit doctrines, there are, I believe, two errors, two ditches that we have to avoid. Right? We don't want to be in either ditch. We want to be on the road where scripture is. Now, one ditch is what I would call a heresy hunter. Uh, and there are, I think, two identifiable character traits of the heresy hunter. First is they are suspicious and they watch everyone. Just waiting on them to say something wrong. So they can say, I knew, I knew you were a false teacher. We see the picture of the heresy hunter with the Pharisees in the life of Jesus. If you remember the story, very often they would watch Jesus just so they could accuse Him. Right? They weren't listening to see if He was right. What they were doing was they had already determined Jesus was a false teacher. And they were just waiting on something that He said that they could take and say, Aha! I knew it, this proves it. Modern day heresy hunters are exactly the same. They start with a presupposition, the person they're listening to is wrong. They're already a heretic, they're already teaching false doctrine, and what they're doing is looking for anything they can, so they can take it and say, this proves my point. Now, I want to be careful here. This isn't to say that we shouldn't test what someone says against Scripture. We're going to actually talk about that later in the message. But The attitude of the Pharisee and the heresy hunter isn't that they're discerning of truth. They're searching Scripture to see what it says. Instead, they are seeking to prove a point they have already decided and they are willing to take anything that's said and use it in the worst possible light so it will prove their conclusion. This person is a false teacher. A second identifiable character trait of a heresy hunter is that they make every doctrine and every application of Scripture a matter of heaven and hell. The heresy hunter refuses to believe that good Christians can differ on different things. They can both study the Bible, they can come to different conclusions, and they can both remain Christian. To the heresy hunter... Everyone who does not believe exactly as they believe is deceived and lost. The heresy hunter either does not understand or refuses to accept that some doctrines are more important than others. And that's the truth. Some things are more important than others. When we talk about Bible doctrines, there are what what I tend to call first-tier doctrines. I I break them up into first, second, and third-tier doctrines. First tier doctrines, these are the essentials of Christianity. These are things that all Christians have always believed. These are things like the full deity of Jesus. His literal and substitutionary death. His literal and bodily resurrection. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. The inspiration and the authority of Scripture. Now that's not a complete list, but it gives you the idea of the, the level of things. This is what all Christians have historically believed. And today, you could go to the Nazarene church, the Southern Baptist church, the Pentecostal church, the non-denominational church, and all the genuine Christian churches would affirm these same doctrines. But then there are what you call second-tier doctrines. Now, second-tier doctrines are... They're not essential for salvation. But they're typically what you would say are are necessary for the life and the health of a church. right? second-tier doctrines... Or what would distinguish a free will Baptist from a Nazarene? A free will Baptist from a southern Baptist? These are, a lot of times, they would be denominational distinctives. But they would be things like baptism. Do we immerse? Or do we sprinkle? Or do we pour water on somebody? Is baptism for believers only? Or can we baptize babies? Did Jesus die for all people? Or did He only die for the elect? Can a believer in Jesus Christ forfeit their salvation and then be lost and condemned? Or, are all genuine believers have eternal security no matter what? These are important doctrines. I have particular ways I view all of these things. But heaven and hell doesn't hang on the balance on these things. It would be important for our church that we believe the same things on them. And we teach that so there wouldn't be confusion and problems. But the difference the Nazarenes have with us doesn't keep them from being solid, godly Christians. The difference that the First Baptists have with us doesn't keep them from being devoted to Jesus and Christians and our brothers in Christ as well. Then there are what I would call third-tier doctrines. And third-tier doctrines are not necessarily unimportant. I mean, I wouldn't say they're unimportant. All doctrine is important. But they're not only not necessary for salvation, it's even okay to have variances within a local church and it not be a big deal. One of the biggest issues with this would be like the return of Jesus. Now, all Christians believe Jesus is coming back. How's that going to happen? Is there going to be a secret tribulation of the secret rapture of the saints followed by a tribulation period? And if there is going to be a secret rapture of the saints, when is it going to happen? Before the tribulation period? In the middle of the tribulation period? Or at the end of the tribulation period? Or, does Jesus just come back and set up His kingdom? Is the thousand year reign of Jesus that's mentioned in Revelation, is that meant to be taken literally? Or is that symbolic of Jesus ruling forever? Now again, These are not necessarily unimportant doctrines, but we would probably have disagreements even within our church over the nature and the specifics of the return of Jesus. Now, the heresy hunter, they refuse to acknowledge that some doctrines genuine Christians can disagree on and still be Christians. And typically what a heresy hunter does is they have elevated their view. They're a Christian. They have an opinion on these issues. Therefore, they're right. So if you disagree with them about the return of Jesus, if you disagree with them about baptism, if you disagree with them about the perseverance of the saints, you are deceived by the devil. You are lost and falling away. You need to repent and believe the Bible. That is one error that someone can fall into when we begin to discuss false teachers, counterfeit doctrine. The other error is what we could call anything goesism, right? With anything goesism, anything goes. As long as the teacher sort of mentions Jesus, it's okay. The anything goes crowd quotes Matthew 7, 1. Jesus said not to judge. That is the, that is basically the foundational doctrine of anything goes. Do not judge. Don't worry about the context of it. Don't worry about what it actually means. Don't judge the anything goes crowd will often often focus on on love and again th- this is careful because love is the god's love is truly significantly important but the way the anything goes crowd will say is well doctrine divides but love unites and jesus said we're supposed to love one another and it's not loving to say what someone believes is wrong it's not loving to say that a way someone lives is a sin. And I don't have time to get into the error of the context of Matthew 7 1 or the fact that it's not loving to let people do things that destroy their souls or their lives. But the anything goes crowd, anything goes except saying this is absolutely right and this is absolutely wrong. The only thing in the anything goes crowd that is absolutely right. Is love. And the only thing that's absolutely wrong in the anything goes crowd. Is judging. Every other belief. Every other lifestyle. Every other action. Anything goes. That's the boundary. Now often what we find is. When you find someone in one of these two ditches. Um, it has. It's a reaction to the other. A lot of the people that are. That have the anything goes doctrine. Doctrine. They have become horrified through heresy hunters. They have been judged. They have been judged. They have been told they're not Christians, that they're subpar Christians for believing differently than the heresy hunter did. And so in their disgust at being treated in such a hate-filled, hate-mongering way, they pull back to the other extreme. At the same time, many heresy hunters look at the anything-goes crowd and they say, good grief, that is horrific. And so they say, no, these are the boundaries. And if you vary beyond my boundaries, you're a sinner. You're not a Christian. You don't know Jesus. We do not want to be reactionary. Jesus does not call us to be reactionary. Jesus does not call us to not be like them. Jesus calls us to be like Him. So rather than pulling to one extreme or the other, we are to walk the difficult road of the Bible. Because the reality is extremes are easy. It would be easy to say anything goes. I don't have to worry about what anyone believes. I don't have to worry about anyone going to hell. I don't have to be burdened or concerned about the sin and the life of someone I love and care about. They're probably okay because God just loves everybody and everything's going to be fine. It would be easy. To say, my boundaries, what I believe, that's the standard for all things. And if you don't believe that, you don't know Jesus. That would be easy. Because then I don't have to think about things. I don't have to have discussions with people that believe differently than me. right? Because if they believe differently than me, they're not Christians. I don't have to worry about it. Jesus doesn't call us to an easy life. Difficult is the way. And the way of discerning false teachers and false doctrine is difficult. It requires much from us as disciples of Jesus. The tension is real, and we must learn to manage it. And that's what this passage will show us how to do. Open your Bible to Matthew 7, verse 15 through 20. It should be on page 738 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Keep in mind, these are the words of Jesus. The Jesus who said, judge not. The Jesus who said, love one another. Also said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, and let me stop here, grapes and thorn bushes are the distinctions. Grapes are useful, thorn bushes are what? Useless. Figs are useful, thistles are what? Useless. Some doctrine is good, some doctrine is useless. That's Jesus again. This is the judge not, love one another, Jesus tells us this. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What do you think fire refers to in reference to Christianity? Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them title of the message is The Reality of Counterfeits Let's pray Our Father we love you You are awesome and worthy and mighty Today as we come to a difficult subject We need you We need your spirit to focus our hearts We need your spirit to conquer our sinful nature We need your spirit to open our ears To hear, open our eyes To see and open our hearts to receive Father we all know people Who believe things outside the boundaries of what Scripture teaches. We all love people. They're a part of movements that claim to be Christians, but are not. And our tendency, God, is to excuse that. To let it go to say, well, they mentioned Jesus, so it must be okay. But God help us today not to do that. God, for many of us, there is a Pharisee that lies within us. That very easily comes out as the heresy hunter and says, Oh, what I believe is exactly right about all things. And oh God, kill that within us as well. Today, help us to walk where Jesus walked. To embrace what Jesus taught, to live how Jesus lived and to believe. What Jesus said to believe. Fill me with your spirit today and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to anything you want said or you want done. Guide me that I would not have a poor attitude that would come across as arrogant or a jerk. But Lord, I would be surrendered to you and I would speak your words and your ways for your glory. Guide us, Father, that we would take the word. It would be the foundation and the authority in our lives. And at what contradicts Scripture, we would say, no, that's not right. And we would not compromise. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus starts by saying, beware. The word beware tells us to set up and pay attention. Because what Jesus is saying is important. The word beware indicates that there is a danger present, which will bring harm to us if we aren't careful. The Greek word used here is often used as a nautical term, meaning to steer a ship in a certain direction. So Jesus is telling us right at the start to pay attention to this important teaching. For there is danger in not heeding it. The danger he's warning us about is counterfeit teachers and counterfeit doctrine. And he wants us to steer clear from it in our lives. Jesus is telling us disciples must recognize counterfeit teachers and, rec- and reject counterfeit teaching. Disciples must recognize counterfeit teachers and reject counterfeit teaching. How do we do this? There's three things we see in this passage. One is that we have to recognize the danger The counterfeits. Jesus calls counterfeit teachers wolves in sheep's clothing. And that's significant as one of the main ways that Jesus describes his followers is that of sheep. Now wolves and sheep have a pretty specific relationship in the world, don't they? Wolves kill sheep. They're not friends. So false teachers come as wolves. The primary enemy of a sheep in Jesus' day was a wolf. If it got into the flock, it would not spare the flock, it would destroy the flock. And it would not stop until it had killed everything or until someone or something had killed the wolf. Spiritual wolves have the same agenda as physical wolves. Now while they look like sheep, they are really wolves whose main goal is to destroy. We see a a really disturbing warning about this in the book of Acts. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem so he can celebrate Pentecost with the disciples there. On the way he stops at Miletus so then he sends for the elders of Ephesus to come to him so he can encourage them and they can encourage him. And toward the end of what would be his final visit to them, Paul makes a dramatic statement about counterfeit teachers. He says, I know that after my departure, and the phrase savage wolves should stick in our minds. Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will arise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Notice how Paul describes these false teachers, these counterfeit teachers, savage wolves. And that's rough. that That's not, this is a brother in Christ I kind of disagree with. No, this is a, a savage wolf who comes in to the church for the purpose of destroying it. The, the picture of not sparing the flock is that the church and the disciples would be destroyed by the counterfeit teachers and the counterfeit doctrine that they brought. And that's important. Do you know the greatest danger for the church of Jesus Christ today is not anti-Christian legislation from the government? The greatest danger for the church of Jesus Christ today is not atheistic arguments against the reliability of Scripture. The greatest danger for the church of Jesus Christ doesn't come from without the church at all. It comes from within. The greatest danger, the one that will destroy the church the quickest is for the church to allow savage wolves to come in among them and they will destroy the church from within. We see this a lot in our day. We see it in the in the form of what I call the crazies. Right? If you've been here at any time at all you've heard me talk about the crazies. And YouTube and other social media platforms are, are filled with videos of people claiming to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and doing things so crazy, so strange, so unbelievably odd that I legitimately believe most of them are demon-possessed. The church is destroyed that way. It's people who seek Jesus, look to Jesus, come across that, and they are either drawn into the crazies, Or they are repulsed by the crazies and will have nothing to do with the church at all. The crazies are not Christians. They are savage wolves seeking to destroy the church. We also see it in the form of people claiming to be Christians. Who cast doubt on or outright deny key doctrines of scripture. Things such as salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. The inspiration and the authority of scripture. The necessity of repentance and faith in Jesus for salvation. Jesus' sacrificial death for sin. His literal bodily resurrection. Some of the most famous Christian authors, bloggers, and social media influencers are not Christians at all. They are savage wolves. Seeking to destroy the flock. Now with these groups, let me say one difference. The crazies are often in a church or in something with their passing as their church. And there are pastors who are leading it, the crazies. With the other group I'm talking about, many of them are not pastors or preachers. Or missionaries or anything like that. They are just influential on social media. They have a big following on Twitter. A blog that everyone talks about. Facebook page that everyone follows. And they write books and they tweet tweets. And they write Facebook posts. And in all of those things, what they do is they sow doubts. And they sow fears. And they sow, this isn't right the way the Bible says. So you can't just say, well, I'm not going to watch another preacher on TV. I'm just following these good Christians on social media. No, because the good Christians on social media are every bit as dangerous as the crazies out on YouTube. We have to be careful. We can't just assume that because they say they're Christian, they are. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. So, savage wolves, the counterfeit teachers, they destroy the church. But not only do they destroy the church, they condemn people to hell. Right? Notice what Jesus says in verse 19. Verse 18 and 19. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. So a bad tree, which is what a counterfeit teacher is, cannot bear good fruit. What would be the good fruit of Christian teaching? Wouldn't it be salvation and sanctification and cross likeness and ultimate deliverance in the presence of God? So can... Can a bad teacher, can a bad tree, a false teacher, can they bear good fruit of someone coming to Jesus under their ministry? Not according to Jesus. Instead, the tree and the fruit is tossed to the fire. See, a false teacher, a counterfeit teacher, cannot lead someone to salvation. Instead, what they do is they make a lost person lost her. By convincing them that they're saved when they really are not. A counterfeit teacher can only produce bad fruit that will eventually burn. And if this was the only place we saw that, we could say, well, that's not overly clear. Maybe that's not what Jesus means. But there's a lot of places. We only have time today to look at one. Several places we see this in Scripture. And and really, the, the biggest ones all come from Jesus. But look at this one that Jesus says. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel the sea and land, land and sea, to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Now, the religious leaders were false teachers. Long before the crazies or the social media influencers, there were Pharisees. And they also at times were false teachers. Jesus said, you put forth a lot of effort. You go all over the place to convert people to your doctrine. And in the end, all that you do is you make them. Twice the son of hell that you are. And that doesn't seem to give any wiggle room. For a false teacher leading someone to genuine salvation, does it? Does it doesn't. Lots of places. We could look at several more. We don't have time. The idea that we see in Jesus. Again... Not, not me. Not some book I read by John MacArthur or somebody else. The guy who said, judge not and love one another said, a bad tree, which is a false teacher, cannot make good fruit. And the teacher and the fruit will be tossed into the fire. And you make them twice the son of hell as yourself when you convert them. A counterfeit teacher can only produce counterfeit Conversions. Therefore they are not saved. And I went out of order. Because if we don't understand how dangerous counterfeit teachers are. We may not put forth the effort to identify them and reject their teaching. But heaven and hell hang in the balance on what we believe about Jesus. What he did and who he is. And So as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We must recognize counterfeit teachers and always reject counterfeit doctrine. So we recognize the danger of counterfeit teachers and then secondly, never judge by appearances. Verse 15, Jesus says that false prophets will come to you as sheep come to you As sheep, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Wolves in sheep's clothing. This is my favorite picture of that. I love that. False prophets will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now that's what makes counterfeit teaching so scary. And why we cannot judge by appearances. For those of us who who are raised in a, even a nominal Christian home, the most dangerous counterfeit teachers in America aren't the ones who teach the Baha'i Bahi faith. Or ones who teach Islam, or Kabbalah, or Scientology, or some sort of New Agey pagan faith. Now, now get me wrong, those are dangerous. They absolutely are. But the most dangerous teaching is the one that looks and sounds Christian, The most dangerous false teachers in the world today are the ones who say they are Christians. They do everything they can to look like sheep. They do everything they can to act like sheep. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. We're repeatedly told a warning that teaches us not to judge by appearances. Paul says that there are some that are false apostles and deceitful workers who transform themselves into apostles of Christ. He says that's not a big deal, though, because Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no big deal if his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. So again, notice what he says, that that there are people who will do everything they can to pass themselves off as apostles of Christ and ministers of righteousness. But the reality is, they are false apostles, they are deceitful workers, and they are, in fact, ministers of Satan who will face the fierce wrath of God. We can't judge by appearances. Jude warned, That certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for condemnation. Ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the idea that they crept in unaware doesn't mean that they crawled in below the window and nobody saw them. It means that they came in and they taught and nobody recognized them. And they came in as godly Christian teachers and preachers and sharing the word of the Lord. But in reality, they were ungodly. They were marked out for condemnation. They denied the Lord and they perverted the grace of God. Eternal condemnation was their future. Appearances are clearly not a reliable way To discern a counterfeit teacher. From a true one. It is far too easy. For us to look at someone. And conclude they are a Christian. Because they look like we look. They dress like we dress. They talk like we talk. A part of Satan's success at deceiving people. With counterfeit doctrine. Depends. Depends. On our judging. By Appearances are saying things like they're just so nice, seems so positive. He's got such a pretty smile. How could anybody that nice really be of Satan? Right, because we have in our mind what Satan looks like, and he's this evil blah, thing that is just scary. We would see him. we would be terrified. And yet, Paul says, he himself can transform himself into an angel of light. Satan could appear to people and look like an angel of God. So if Satan can appear and look like an angel of God, his ministers can also look like ministers of Christ. And we cannot say, well, they're awful nice. They sure dress nice. They seem like really good people. They don't seem weird at all. Appearances can be deceiving. We must judge by their doctrine, their authority, and we'll talk about that in a second, and not by their appearances. Appearances are not a reliable way to tell a counterfeit from the true. And that's why as disciples of Jesus, we must recognize Counterfeit teachers. And reject counterfeit doctrine. So here's the third one. The final one. Recognize the danger. Never judge by appearance. Test all things. Jesus says you will know them by their fruit. Every good tree bears good fruit. And every bad tree bears bad fruit. So they're sneaky. They're deceptive but they can be discerned. It is possible for a disciple of Jesus to listen to a teacher and find out whether or not they are a genuine teacher of Christ or a counterfeit that must be rejected. We discern them by their fruit. There are two questions to ask and answer Regarding a teacher. One. What is their authority? Everyone who teaches has something as the authority for their teaching. When it comes to the Christian teacher. This authority is scripture. One way to discern a false teacher. Is to ask and answer. Where does their authority come from? Look at what Jude warns us. It says, likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. It refers to false teachers as dreamers who reject authority. Now the main implication of reject authority is that they reject the authority of Scripture. Now, again, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're not just going to come out and say, I reject the Bible. Because most people would then say, well, you're crazy. You're a false teacher. I'm done with you. So instead, what they'll do is they will be subtle. Right? And you see it in different ways. With with the crazies. The crazies often begin to replace Scripture with their own visions and their own personal revelations that they say God has given them. Now, these revelations may contradict Scripture, and if you were to call them on that, wait, you said God said this, but the Bible says that, their response would be something like, well, I don't know what to tell you, brother. That's what God told me. And that's a, that is a, a subtle thing. But what they are doing is they're elevating their dreams, their revelations, their experiences above Scripture. And by doing this, They are rejecting the authority of Scripture in favor of their own dreams. Now, I think in most cases, it is a subtle and a not a big jump. Rarely, in my experience of the ones that I've seen, do they just come out one day and the first time they speak, say, well, I'm not going to use the Bible anymore. Instead, what I'm going to do is just tell you what God told me last night. Instead, they say things like, well, I was reading this passage and God told me this. And He said, you've always understood it this way. Fred, but in reality, it means this way over here that's really different. And I thought, wow, God, thanks for telling me that. And then they, they started with the Bible. And then over time, what they do is they refer to the Bible less and less and less. Until most of the time, they don't even have a Bible when they come out. I was praying and God told me, here's what he wanted me to tell you people. God gave me this vision and he said, this is what it means. And here's what you're supposed to do with it. what are they doing? They are rejecting the authority of Scripture in favor of their dreams and their visions. That's their authority. And they're a false teacher. They are counterfeit and not genuine. Now the other group I talked about, they do it by casting doubt on what Scripture has said. Again, it will be subtle and it will likely make sense to the natural mind. Because if you read a lot of that crowd, they're not aggressive. And they're not angry. And they come across as so very kind. So very loving. So very compassionate. That on a natural level we'll say, well that kind of makes sense. And they'll say things like, well I just can't see a loving God. And then they'll list a sin that a loving God wouldn't care about. Or they'll list judgment that a loving God wouldn't make. And these people are just as much as what Jude called dreamers as the crazies are. Because they're elevating their ideas, their feelings, their understanding of God above what God has said about Himself. And in doing so, they are rejecting the authority of Scripture. I read an article yesterday. And the title was, I can't remember the title, but it was something like, The Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Not really. And he used this argument right here. The Bible says this about this particular sin. But I just can't imagine in the heart of God that being that big of an issue. I just, to me, a loving God would not make that sin something that is as serious as these other people are making it out to be. If the Bible clearly said it, what was his authority? Not scripture at that point. His heart. Well, how do, you, I mean, how do you argue with someone who says, I just think God loves love, and as long as they love each other, who cares? It just sounds unloving to say that, that that's a wrong belief or that that's a wrong lifestyle. I just can't imagine a loving God being like that. Well, then do you disagree with them and suddenly you're hateful? You're mean. You're a horrible human. The reality is, and that's a subtle way to to cast the the person who believes in a bad light, but the reality is they are elevating their dreams, their visions, their ideas above scripture, and in doing so, they are rejecting the authority of scripture. That's a major way that counterfeit teachers bring their doctrines into the church. They start relying more and more on their personal visions. More and more on their personal ideas. Less and less on Scripture. And over time you'll find that many of them never actually really open Scripture anymore. Unless it's to undermine what Scripture says. So ask and answer. That's important. Do both. What is the authority? If you're going to tell me that something is okay... Or something is a sin. Where did you get that from? Because if I'm going to base my life on what you're saying, there better be an authority bigger than a vision you had last night in bed, or your heart and your feelings. What is the authority for your teaching? We must ask and answer that. And then secondly, ask what do they teach? What is their authority what are they actually teaching? Once we discern their authority, we have to discern what they're actually teaching. And this is more difficult than it sounds, as false teachers often use the same words that we do, but they change the meaning. Right? They will say Jesus, and they'll say Gospel, and they'll say Holy Spirit, but they won't mean the same things that we do. Let me show you this. Look at what Paul warns about. For if someone comes and preaches what? Another Jesus whom we have not preached. Or you receive a different Spirit you have not received. Or a different Gospel that you have not accepted. So they come, another Jesus, another Spirit, another Gospel. He warns against this also in, in Galatians. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of God to a, a different gospel, which is not another. There are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel. Now, if you look at those together, you get a good picture of what we have to know. Right? Paul tells the Corinthians to reject teachers who preach another Jesus. They talk about a different spirit... And they preach a different gospel. When you look at it in light of the Galatians, it's not really another gospel at all, but a perversion, a corruption of the one true gospel. Paul goes on in Galatians, in fact, and says that if, if he or if anyone else or even an angel from heaven were to come and preach another gospel, let him be accursed. That's a big deal. So part of the way that false teachers will look like Christians is by trying to sound like them. They will use Christian words. We just believe the gospel and we preach the gospel. Oh, we just, we just preach Jesus. We follow the Spirit and wherever He would have us to go. And yet, if you really look at what they're teaching, they've altered the meaning. Until it's another Jesus, it's another gospel, it's a perversion of what's right. Right. So what that means for us is just because someone says, I preach Jesus, that doesn't mean they preach Jesus. And That just because someone says, I preach the gospel, that doesn't mean they're really preaching the gospel. And just because someone says, well, the spirit led me, it doesn't mean that the spirit really led them. The false teachers who have crept in among us use Jesus, use gospel, use the Holy Spirit. They just alter it. And pervert it. And corrupt it. So how do we know? How do we know? Well the Bible gives us that answer too. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every appearance. Or every form. Of evil. Now here's this is where the hard work comes in. Right? Because... If someone says, Jesus is this or Jesus is that, how am I going to know if it's the real Jesus or another Jesus? I've got to look in here. Right? Despise not the prophecies. In our context of what we're talking about, it would refer to preaching. So don't hate preaching. Instead, test it. When someone preaches to you and they say, Jesus says this or Jesus is like that, You go to the Bible and you say, is Jesus like that? Does Jesus say that? Does Jesus do that? And if they say, well, the gospel is, you go to the Bible and say, is that what the gospel is? And they say, well, the Spirit led. You go to the Bible and you say, is that what the Spirit would lead? Is that what the Spirit would say? Is that what the Spirit would do? Test all things. This requires effort. On our part. Someone told me years ago, I don't want to study the Bible on my own. I want to come to church and the preacher tell me what it means and what I should do about it. The most horrifying statement anyone has ever made to me. When you believe like that, you end up in a cult drinking Kool-Aid. Never, ever take anyone's word. Too much is at stake. Don't even take my word. If I preach it, you make sure I'm preaching it from the Bible. Where is my authority? What am I teaching? Is what I'm saying really congruent with scripture? If it's not, reject it. If it's me, come talk to me. Right? Come see, hey, this is what I think the Bible says, here's what you're saying, and we can work on it, we can look at it. I'm not, I'm not the pope of the Free Will Baptist Church and I speak and everybody has to do what I say. We're all disciples of Jesus doing our part. I could be wrong. I know that's probably shocking to most of you, but I could. I could be wrong. But don't come with an arrogant attitude with you either, because here's the reality. You could be wrong too. So what do we do? We hear preaching. We hear teaching. When somebody says Jesus, or this is what it means, or this is what we do, we go to the Bible and we say, does it really say that? And if it does, we hold fast. We take it in. And listen, this requires effort. Let me. This isn't a part of my notes so it doesn't count off on my time. This is just a rabbit trail that I prayed against doing. I went to a, a church and I heard a guy preach. And he didn't use his Bible. He quoted the Bible. Knew the Bible better than I did. It was very intimidating in fact. Quoted the Bible a lot. And he talked about Abraham. Let me see if I can find the passage where it's at. And he said that Abraham, he said in Romans 4, the Bible says that Abraham called those things that were not as though they were. And that's why they came to pass. Right When Abraham was given the name Abraham, it means the father of many nations. But he didn't have any kids yet. And Abraham began to refer to himself as Abraham. He was calling those things that were not as though they were, and it made them come to pass. Now, all of those words are actually in Romans 4. But it's not Abraham who calls those things that are not as though they were. It's God. Abraham who believed God who calls those things that are not as though they were. Listen, you say that's a that's a subtle difference. But it is significant. There is a difference between a God who calls things that are not as though they were. And you and I speaking things into existence that are not as though they were. One can actually do it. The other is not. How important is it that we test it against the Scripture. And even if they quote it and it sounds right. We take it and we go to the Bible and say what does the Bible say? It's effort. A lot of effort, But we are commanded to do that. And even more than being commanded to do it. Heaven and hell hang in the balance. In this case. God help us. Not to just say, well I don't want to study the Bible on my own. I just want somebody to tell me what it means and what I ought to do about it. God, help us not to be so lackadaisical about eternal salvation, about the nature of the Christ who died for us, the message of the gospel that saves, that we will not take the time to ask and answer basic fundamental questions about their teaching. We know that what we have in our hands, it is the Word of God. So when someone teaches And they are teaching as a Christian teacher. And they teach about Jesus, about God, about salvation, about the Holy Spirit, holiness, sin, heaven, or hell. Or anything along those lines. It must line up with Scripture. For this I know is the Word of God someone's interpretation of it may not be. Someone's teaching about it may not be. We must do the hard work of comparing what is taught with what God has said. And when it's true and it lines up with Scripture, we embrace it. And when it contradicts Scripture, we reject it. And we reject it no matter how many followers the person has on Twitter. We reject it no matter how many award winning books they've written. We reject it no matter how eloquently they speak. We reject it no matter how Christian they look. We reject it no matter how nice they seem. Scripture is the foundation of our faith. And everything right and true and pure and from God must align with it. Those who neglect, abuse, twist or undermine scripture are not Christian teachers. They are counterfeits. They are savage wolves seeking to destroy the church and our souls. Let me close with a quote from John MacArthur. Matthew 7.15 not only tells us to beware of false prophets, it tells us why we're to watch out for them. They are dangerous. We can all be easy prey for false prophets. The The word beware in verse 15 should be enough to let us know that they are dangerous. Whenever I see the word beware on a sign, I stop. I don't want to run into a gorilla or to a huge dog. I want to be careful not to get electrocuted. Beware is a strong word. The Greek word means to hold your mind away from it. Don't ever expose your mind to the influence of false prophets. Don't pay attention to them. They pervert the mind and they poison the soul. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's have a quick time to respond to what we've talked about today. And I don't know how, how you need to respond. But here's some possible ways we need to respond. Recognize false teaching. We all need to do this. We all need to commit that I am going to study Scripture. I'm going to compare. And I'm going to see whether something's right or true. Recognize false teaching, even in your own heart, in your own life, something you've embraced, something that you've read. Or you've heard and you see that it clearly doesn't line up with Scripture, but you like everything else so much. Recognize it. But then when we recognize the false teaching, reject it. If it's something that we see reject it. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to let it in my home, in my family, in my life. I am going to reject it as false. And if I've already embraced it, I'm going to renounce it. In the name of Jesus, I renounce this false doctrine. It is not what I believe. It is not what Scripture says. I do not hold to it. Maybe you need to repent. Believing it. Repent of not studying. Repent of propagating it by telling someone else or passing along a book that's filled with heresy. And then receive. Receive Christ. Receive the Spirit which guides us into all truth. Let's take time and Work through this, but let's be sure that we are a people committed to God's word. Disciples who are willing to do the hard work to recognize a false teacher and with the courage to reject their false doctrine.